I want to thank Coach Anthony Stone for the opportunity to be a contributing author to his new magazine, the Coach Stone Football Coaching Magazine, From the Field to Football Podcasts, Coaching in the Digital Era. This is a great opportunity for me to get out there and grow the community of the podcast. Uh, so if you're looking for some free football content, go ahead and follow the link that I'm going to provide in the description of this episode below. Uh, and you're going to get some free stuff uh, from including from me, from Coach Steve, from the Coach Steve Show, Coach PJ Davis from the Shavehead Podcast, uh, Coach Matt Barkley, Bartley from the Game Records and Slobberknockers Podcast, Coach Nick Banstra from his Kick and Cover Podcast, the Gap Down Backer Podcast, and also Coach Dustin Mills from the Anchor Down Podcast, as well as many others in the future. So if you are interested in free football content, and most of us coaches are, do us a huge favor and follow the link and like and subscribe to this magazine. It will help us out tremendously. Thank you. This episode is brought to you in part by Second Skull. Second Skull is a protective headgear company focused on helping to keep athletes safe and to help keep athletes on the field participating in the sports that they love. Their products are patented, tested, and proven to reduce direct and rotational impacts to the head. Their technology is trusted by several athletic organizations and the United States military. Their pro cap is designed with the grant from the National Football League. This protective skull cap is the ultimate in thin, lightweight, and breathable protection. The pro cap is comparable to other skull caps that do not offer such protection, measuring at just 2 millimeters thick and weighing less than 2.4 ounces. The pro cap improves protection for all players when worn under their helmet and is perfect for football, baseball, hockey, and lacrosse. Their pro band is designed in collaboration with professional players and clubs in Spain. This protective headband provides superior protection with an aesthetic and athletic look. The pro band has a unique five panel construction with a reinforced forehead panel to deliver a natural feel and ultimate ball control at just four millimeters thick and a weight of 1.4 ounces. The pro band provides protection for all players in non-helmeted sports and activities and is ideal for soccer athletes. Listeners of the armchair coaching podcast can go to secondskull.com and save 20% on any products purchased from that website with the discount code armchair. That's A-R-M-C-H-A-I-R in all caps. All Armchair Coaching Podcast episodes have been edited by Coach James Heath. Follow Coach James Heath on Twitter at jrockfordheath. And if you are interested in starting your own podcast, contact Coach Heath and he will help you get set up with everything that you need for podcasting. Thank you, Coach Heath. I couldn't do it without you, brother. Welcome to the Armchair Coaching Podcast. My name is Coach Sheffer. I am your host. And today we have another great guest. We have Coach Brad Garrett, who is the currently the Athletic Director and Offensive Coordinator at Moorhaven Middle High School in Moorhaven, Florida. Coach, welcome onto the podcast. Thanks for having me. I hope everything's going well. Everything's going well on this side. Coach, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing pretty good, man. Just dealing with these crazy times, trying to, once you feel like you got everything figured out, you know, something usually comes up and, and completely ruins that idea. But just trying to take things day by day, man, it seems like you learn something new every day. Yeah, this whole, you know, pandemic season, it's really dealing with everything dealing everybody a different hand and I totally agree because I'm dealing with the same thing uh, you know reschedules and the 
school boards are changing things on us all the time. You know, are we going to have a season? Are we not? That kind of stuff. We always worry about it. So I think I'm sure you could do a podcast, man, on just all the coaches that have just had to deal with the craziness and all the different things they've had to come up with and, and ways they've handled it. I'm sure you can make a, a pretty good set out of that. Oh yeah. Uh, that might be something to look into as well, <laughs> but um, coach, the first question that I'm going to ask you is one that I have everybody on the podcast talk about. I want to learn about your coaching story. So, you know, start off with like how you got into coaching and then tell us about your journey, you know, all the different stops you had. How did you eventually get to where you are today? Well, man, it's, it's, you know, I, I think that if you start with, with that, you, you're going to kind of have the same beginning that everybody else had, you know, playing high school football. You've got those coaches that kind of affected you in a positive way and, and kind of made you think, man, wow, I, I want to kind of do this and, and impact people like I, I was impacted. So, you know, when college kind of got over with, I went to Quincy University, um, helped out there for, for a year um, coaching DBs. Um, I played, went from uh, playing quarterback to switch to DB probably my second year through. So really got to learn the defensive side of the football game. Um, after that, I spent a year D3 football, Eureka College, familiar with that, up in Eureka, Illinois. So did that for a year, and I just realized, I mean, coaching those small colleges, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of work, handwriting letters and, you know, trying to contact people. I just felt like I, I wanted to just try high school football out for a little bit. So went back home. I'm from, originally from Belle Glade, Florida. Uh, played my high school at Glaze Day, um, small division, uh, one, a 1A school down in Florida. Um, went there, coached quarterbacks for, for, for four years. Um, was, was lucky enough to win stu- two state titles back-to-back. Um, you know, had some good players around us. Fred Taylor's son, Kelvin Taylor, was a, was a freshman and a sophomore there. I mean, I think he still to this day holds the state record for rushing yards in a game, like over 450 yards. I mean, kid was 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 pretty was pretty good football player. So I did that and then ended up coming to Clewiston High School. It's been about five, six years there as an assistant. Um, I worked under Pete Walker for, for a long time. Um, learned a lot from him, man. It was one of those mentor coaches that you have that, you know, kind of shows you the ropes, gives you that chance. Um, we were together for a long time, man, about 11 years almost that we spent, that we spent together. Um, came to Clewiston, like I said, coached quarterbacks for five, six years. Um, coached in the secondary a little bit, but more mainly focused on the off- offensive side of the football. Um, he ended up retiring, had a chance to become a head coach, um, did that for a couple years, kind of got thrown into the fire, really wasn't expecting it. I mean, you know, I'm sure like every young coach, they sit there and say, hey, man, I, wanna, I can do this. I want to be a head coach. I'm ready. I, I'm going to do it. It has their whole plan set up, but then when they get in that seat, it's, it's, it's a whole different world, man. And, it, and my eyes were open to some things I just was not expecting. So did that for two years, called plays. Um, you know, some certain situations happened. I ended up uh, stepping away from that. Just thought about, you know, what I wanted to do. Ended up taking a position in Moorhaven where I was an offensive coordinator there. Um, this will be my third year there now. Um, uh, became assistant AD with the head football coach. Him and I were kind of co-ADs. Um, ended up getting new uh, principal in. She kind of wanted to go where if, if ADs were going to be the athletic director, they didn't want them really any coaching any sports. So I'm kind of taking that role over now, becoming the athletic director. I mean, my major was sport management. So I'm trying that side of things right now, seeing how that goes. And, you know, I don't know, man. I don't know if it was just the timing, but with everything going on, 
you know, the COVID experience with the athletic director experience, it's been, it's been eye-opening. I mean, you know, dealing with that now, and, and when I first became a head coach, we kind of dealt with the hurricane down here. So we started football, and then we ended up missing four weeks of football, and we were having to play two games a week to make it up. So, I mean, the experiences I've had in these roles, man, have been circumstances that not many get to face in their whole coaching career. And I got, I got to experience them, you know, fairly new to being introduced to what I'm doing. Yeah, this is a crazy time to uh, change positions or, you know, maybe go to athletic director or anything like that. I can't imagine doing it that is, right man. now. What uh, makes it tough is a lot of these small schools are, you know, they don't have the funds and, and the resources that a lot of these bigger schools are. So now that you're in a pandemic and, and your school thrives off, whether it be home games or things like that, and, and you're not having these games, you realize how much that impacts your athletic program. And, and I, I think these small, these small schools don't appreciate what they have as much until they get into a situation like this, where they realize that it's day by day. And, and at any time, this can be taken away from you if you don't have proper resources and proper, you know, funding to, to make sure these things can happen. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, in our area, in Northern Virginia, where we are, we're close to DC. Uh, the school that I coach at in this County is the smallest school. Everyone else is the highest level in the state. We're about three a, which is, uh, about a thousand kids on average. Gotcha. And um, this year, our inability to fundraise has really hurt us um, because, you know, the different fundraisers we had used to be like in-person fundraisers. Yeah. And so now we had to change our whole thing to like online email fundraising, that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's different. You know, we are getting some money in because we've had some dedicated parents and boosters, but it is tough. And I agree, you know, this could really hit hard. And unfortunately this might end up ending some certain athletics, you know, some of the smaller sports might take a hit from this. And the, and the crazy thing is, is you go to these bigger districts where they have money and they have funding and then some, they have booster clubs, you know, they can handle the rough times, but you know, small schools like us that, that don't have a booster club and, and, you know, have to, you're, you're funding to have referees pay for come out of your own account and the equipment you need. But, you know, also some small schools like us, we pay for transportation. So we want to go to a, an away game. We have, we pay bus drivers to take us. And that, that all comes out of your, your football account, man. And it, and it can make things difficult at times, especially when, you know, there's time to pay up on, on certain bills that maybe are not handed towards the end. And you realize, uh Oh, I don't know if I've, I don't know if I can cover this. And then you're stuck. You're stuck in a between a rock and a hard place, and it makes things difficult. Yeah, we uh, we recently, right before the pandemic hit, our head coach wanted to buy a new new uniforms. Like he wanted to update the uniforms, and so we went. We didn't buy like the most expensive or the most fancy ones, but we found some really good ones. And it took a lot of money <laughs> to right. buy all the uniforms. Uh, we recently, in the last couple of years, refurbished our helmets, got new sets of helmets we're broke (laughs) and we're, we're, we're trying to find ways to fundraise. And if it wasn't for the pandemic, we probably would have been able to fundraise a little bit better. Right. Um, But you know, I, I don't think a lot of people really understand the amount of money and the the amount of attention that a program needs. They don't. And I think, you know, you hear the comments and I mean, at least we do down here, I'm sure you do as well as, you know, football's kind of treated differently. Football gets more, you know, more first reigns to things, but what they don't understand is football is what kind of keeps the other programs kind of going. And, and if football is not there and yes, it gets special treatment at times, but 
sometimes are those would allow those other sports to kind of get by and get through. So you kind of got to make the accommodations to make sure that happens to give yourself a chance to have, you know, give kids the opportunity to play other sports. Yes, I completely agree. Um, so one of the other questions I had for you, um, you, you were talking a little bit about being an athletic director. So what are some of, and you said you, you did have some experience at the head coach level. What are some differences and similarities that you find from being a head coach and being an athletic director? I think organization a is probably the main one. Um, you know, being a head coach, you have to make sure that everything is organized to a T. You know, you have your practice schedules, you have your game plan, you have your situation, things that you want to go over. I think all those things kind of go hand in hand with becoming an athletic director, except now you're kind of dealing with the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I found with being a head coach is, you know, all these people, they're, they're, they're great on the board. They're great at X's and O's. They have all these bright, you know, ideas they come up with that they have success with. But I really think that the most, what makes people the most successful being a head coach or athletic director is, is getting the right people around you. Um, I think a head coach is only going to be as good as the assistance he has. You know, he can be a people person and, and just have all these great things in place to be successful. But if you don't have people under you, they have the right mindset and think the same way you do, you're not going to have the same success. So I think management and, and the right people around you and, and well as being able to relate to kids now, um, I think it's the biggest thing. Uh, you know, we all go back to when we played and, and how you were coached and you were coached hard and coaches would get you in your face, you know, and motivate you. And, and nowadays you can't really do that. You know what I mean? You, you can in a way, you know, I'm not saying you got to be soft on them, but you got to hold them accountable. But there's kids are different now and you got to be able to relate to every single kid and you got to be able to make sure that you can communicate with them and, and, and reach them in different ways that you, you may not be able to reach any other person. So I think trying to be able to change, you know what I mean? With, with, with everything going around you and not just kind of being stuck in your ways is a big thing that I think go hand in hand with being a head coach and an athletic director. Now, how do you manage being an offensive coordinator on, on the team and being the athletic director at the same time? I, like, I don't know how you, you manage your time. Coach, that was by far the, the hardest thing I had to deal with. And, and, and I'll tell you how is going into the summer, the head coach and I were kind of, we were kind of co-ADs. Um, we got somebody, like I said, a new principal in place and she wanted to have, she brought it, she had somebody that she wanted to be the AD. So we were just like, okay, we'll just, we'll, we'll focus on football and we'll stick with it. And that's where we'll be. Well, the uh, athletic director, a um, couple weeks in decided, you know, it really wasn't for him. He had a lot of stuff going on. He was going to have to take a step back. So the role of athletic director was kind of, here you go. You know, would you be interested? So we're like, yeah, we, we can handle it. And when it comes down to game planning and watching film and being prepared, I really at first was kind of blown away. I don't know how guys, you know, stick with it because it, it's, it's tough. And they've been doing it a long time, especially head coaches, you know. So I really had to find a way to, to – separate my AD hat and my offensive coordinator hat. And, and, and that was hard and, and making sure I, when I sat down, I had everything taken care of and everything handled before, you know, I could think about doing anything else. And then I tried to just take it one day at a job, one day at a time, one task at a time to make sure that I was, I was good to go. And I had all my, my, my basics covered. You also have a, 
unique experience as being both a high school coach and a college coach. And you said you coached at Eureka College? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, so what are some of the major differences between being a high school coach and being a college coach? I can assume that one of those would be recruiting. Yes. Uh, but what are some of the other differences? Uh, I would say just the personalities. I mean, you're, you go from dealing with 14, 15, 16-year-old kids that you're pretty much turning them into football players. You know what I mean? But when you get to college level, you've already got kids that are already set in their ways and, and they're already football players. You're just trying to develop them and get them more able to fit your mold and what you're looking for. So I think that the hardest thing was was trying to – I was young when I was doing it. I wasn't much older than they were. So just trying to find that fine line between coach and player, you know, because I was not much older than they were and trying to, to get to where they could, you know, understand that even though the age gap wasn't very far, but I, they still, you had to get that respect from them because, you know, respect is earned. It's, it's, you know, you have to take, you have to get it from them. And I think that was the hardest thing is trying to figure out how to do that and, and to where you're not crossing that line. You know what I mean? So I oh, think yeah. the, mm -hmm. that would be the biggest thing is colleges. You got kids that you got to, you're molding them more instead of turning them into to, to men and trying to get them to think a certain way. Uh, so let's go ahead and we can talk a little bit about X's and O's and I asked you on the, uh, the form, like what was your, you know, offense or defensive, uh, preference and so you're the offensive coordinator uh, and you said spread offense with some gap scheme and a little bit of pistol so um, can we kind of like you know have like a little overview of the offense that you run you know like what are the sure. plays you run what's your philosophy sure. that kind of thing yeah so you know what, what I found being an offensive coordinator is you can go into a season or you can go into a program and want to do certain thing and have your certain beliefs on what you want to do but you can only you can only run with what the players you have and I've realized that very quickly I mean we're more of a spread them out I like to be in three wide receiver spread kind of open the field up a little bit but I like having that fullback h-back kind of guy in there to kind of be able to protection wise also for an extra uh, guy in the run game um, we, we we like to do everything a lot of power runs a lot of trap um, the old school quick trap that people run out of the eye for in it formation. We were big with that, trying to run it out of the gun, but always leaving that in man on the line of scrimmage unblocked mm -hmm. so we could read him. Um, a lot of jet sweeps, you know, just trying to get our athletes in space with the football, but also kind of the old school quick game concept. So our quarterbacks kind of had uh, the opportunity to understand what we were doing. They knew where they were going with the football and they could kind of get it out of their hand quick, quick, as quick as they could. Um, because I see a lot of people now trying to, you know, trying to push the ball downfield and have, you know, full field reads. And I just think it makes it tough on an offense, especially a young kid. So just trying to read in one half of the field. Um, that way we were trying to attack each defense's weakness in the secondary and just trying to establish the run because I'm a firm believer in everything opens up from the run. So we were trying to get the run game going and, and try to get them to crowd that box a little bit so we could take more shots and, and have more things available to us down the field. Um, philosophy wise, like, you know, are you guys, I know you're spread, but a lot of spread out there, they want to do like up tempo, no right. huddle. Yep. Are, are you guys doing that as well? 
Yeah, you know, it, it's tough being at a small school, and I know a lot of schools can do it, but being at a small school, you have an offensive day and a defensive day. So we tried to come up with the best plan that where, A, our kids know what they're doing so they can play fast, and B, just keeping it as simple, but yet to where we're still able to challenge and make it tough on defenses. So we, we don't really push the tempo very much. We like to try to beat people with, A, running the football, putting them in tough situations where they have to bring extra people in the box, but we also try to put them in formation binds to where we're able to do that, to where we can throw the football and we can also run the football to the same formation. We're not giving it away too much and just put more defenses in binds that way instead of pushing the tempo, fast pace, no huddle. You know, we, we still huddle up and, and go from there, but I think our offensive uh, philosophy would just be we're, we're more attacking defenses downhill and trying to open things up more with play action and, and get the ball rolling that way and try to try to take more time of possession in our hands to where we can you know wear people out so we're ready to go in the fourth quarter. Talking about play action, I, that's a topic that I, I like to talk about because we're trying to do a little bit more play action in our offense. What are some of your favorite um, concepts in play action? So what, what uh, run plays do you run? Mm -hmm. and what uh, actual, like, passing concepts do you marry those two? Man, it, it, it's funny. I know you. everybody's watched the old John Gruden's, and he's the white spider Y banana or the Y2 banana stuff. And, you know, I played in it, and, and for the longest time I coached in, you know, the I formation, one back offense, and, and everybody around the old school garden tackle counters and the old school powers. And we, we do a lot of our play action out of those plays. We run – the counter looks with, with the bootlegs out of it, with the power passes, and the same thing, keeping tight ends in the game and just running that same Y2 banana stuff and, and running out of just giving the power looks up front so teams think we're running power or counter and we'll run bootlegs or power pass concepts out of it with mostly the snag concept with a sit route in a corner or the high-low cross old school routes with the tight end running a corner, fullback in the flat, backside drag. Mm -hmm. um, we, we keep a lot of those – concepts simple when we're running play action just because of how much we do run the football that we think we can give a lot of looks away with just what we're showing up front with how we're blocking because as soon as those linebackers see guard pull they're full they're flowing so we don't have to really be you know all the schematically you know out of the ordinary with what we do as long as we can keep things looking the same and, and catch people slipping that way yeah i agree with that uh you had a lot of experience as a quarterback's coach. And yes, sir. So I know every <laughs> every time I ask this question of somebody, it it's a very similar answer. Oh, well, I want the I want the, you know, the the dual threat guy or I want, you know, this specific but, you know, we don't always get that at the high school level, especially the, the smaller school level. We kind of get what we what we get, but sir. what are some of the um, qualities that you're looking for in a starter at quarterback. So like what, what will elevate a kid like a, this one kid versus another one? Coach, to be honest with you, I, I, I've seen, and I'm sure you have as well. You've seen, you can put your best player back there at quarterback and just go with it. And, and some teams have a lot of success. Some teams don't. Um, I think first for me, is you got to find a kid that's selfless. You know what I mean? You, you got to find it because we're not going to go out there and throw it 40, 50 times a game. We're probably going to go out there and run it 40, 50 times a game and, and see what we can do throwing the ball off of that. And then the next game we may go out there and throw 20. So we got to find somebody that is he's, – he's good with doing whatever it takes to win. 
You know what I mean? He's also going to be somebody that holds his teammates around him accountable. I, I think so much coaches try to do that. And after a while, it just kids get complacent with it because they keep hearing the same coaches say it. But if you can find a kid that, A, can grab the attention from others and hold other kids to a high standard and hold them accountable, I think you've got a lot of, of what you're looking for in a quarterback. Um, I think uh, obviously got to be a leader. Um, and it doesn't really have to be a dual threat guy, just one guy that's going to do whatever he's got to do to win a football game and not really for himself, but, you know, for others and going to do exactly what he's coached to do. This episode is brought to you in part by High and Tight Footballs. High and Tight Footballs are the world's only self-contained pressure measuring, multi-sensory, instant audible feedback training footballs on the market. They have been used by NFL Hall of Fame players, NFL coaches, collegiate All-Americans, and players at all levels. Listeners of the Armchair Coaching Podcast can actually receive a 10% discount on any products purchased from High and Tight by using the discount link below in the description and by using the discount code ACP. Make sure you type in ACP at checkout to get a 10% discount on any items purchased from highandtight.com. This episode was brought to you in part by Knack Bags. Knack was created to make it easier for multitasking mobile professionals to get from point A to point B without lugging a bunch of bags. Their multi-purpose products combine the best features of a stylish daily use computer backpacks with a patent pending hidden compartment that you can easily access. Expand and pack like a suitcase whenever you need extra space for travel, the gym, or anywhere your life takes you. You can find Knack products exclusively at knackbags.com. Listeners of the Armchair Coaching Podcast can check the description of this episode below to find a special link to go to buy, purchase Knack products. I'd like to thank our new sponsor, Launchpad Kickoff Tee, for joining us here on the Armchair Coaching Podcast family. Coaches, are you looking for that competitive edge, but you might not be paying attention to the kickoff game? Well, this is the company for you. I'd like you to go check them out. I have one sitting right here in my hand. It's incredibly unique. It's got a very large surface area and incredibly flexible wings. And so what this does for you here, it gives you extreme flexibility with how you want to kick off. Do you want to use the patented forward lean? Well, if you don't know what that is, go ahead and check out their website. You can do just about anything you want. You can dial up different types of squib kicks just with the different angles. You can literally do just about anything with this. And the nice thing is they send you this piece of paper here that goes with diagrams that show you all the different angles and techniques that they've discovered so far. And they are incredibly helpful on their website. I highly recommend you check them out. If you're interested, do me a favor. I want you to go to launchpadkickoftee.com slash ACP. Make sure you add the slash ACP. And if you're interested in buying one, if you go to this specific website, you can find the link, the, the link in the description below, you actually get a discount. You're going to get a 10% discount just from using the, the Armchair Coaching Podcast link. If you want to buy one, if you want to buy two, that's a savings of 25%. And if you buy three, you're actually going to get one for free. All right. So those are some huge deals that you're going to get there. So do us a huge favor. Check out our sponsor at Launchpad Kickoff Tea. Make sure that you go to 
this specific site, launchpadkickoftea.com slash ACP. Launchpadkickoftea.com slash ACP. On the kickoff, it's not like all the other kickoff teas that you have. It's incredibly unique. This year has been pretty crazy. And we kind of had a little bit, a little discussion before the podcast started about how, you know, the pandemic affected your season. Um, here in Virginia, as of this recording, we haven't started our season yet. We haven't had anything yet. We didn't have anything in the fall. We're supposed to start mid-February. But, um, you know, Florida, you guys, for the most part, were able to have a kind of a season. <laughs> um so can you kind of like walk through the listeners who might not be familiar with what was going on in Florida? Like how, what, what did your guys season look like? Well, you know, normally when the, when the summer gets here, like anybody else, you, you can be with the kids every single day. Well, we couldn't do that. We, we could only have voluntary workouts and, you know, a lot of parents didn't really feel comfortable with their kids being out and being around each other. So, you know, when we were able to kind of get out there and, and, and get some workouts in it was basically just a select few that, you know, were good to get out there. Um, we weren't really allowed to be in small in small area places. So a lot of our stuff was just conditioning and things that we could do outside. Really couldn't do a lot in the weight room. And, and, and I think that played a huge role because that's where your, your season's won is in the off season in the weight room, like everybody says. But we, we kind of went through that and kind of had to deal with what we did, had to. Um, the season was set to start on two or three different dates. So we would get ready, and then, boom, it was pushed back. Get ready, boom, it was pushed back. And I understand they were trying to make sure everything was, you know, good to go, but that made for a, for a difficult start, too, because you would kind of get equipment issued and get rolling, and then all of a sudden you'd have to take a few steps back and kind of start back over in a couple of days. So that made things rough. Um, we ended up having a four-game season. We, we had all nine games, a regular season schedule set up, but – with cancellations and, and teams not being able to leave their district and not being able to have teams come into their district. I mean, we had to play some private schools that were allowed to kind of do as they pleased. Um, you know, so we started off our regular season, played our, played our first game, and then we shut down school for about two weeks. So we missed two or three games there. Then we kind of got back cranked up again. And then the team we were supposed to play, they had to shut down. So we got to, we, we had nine games on the schedule where we got through four. Now, what made it difficult was this year in the state of Florida, everybody made the playoffs. It didn't matter if you were 11-0 and 0 or 0-11 or 1-6, or you were making the playoffs. So we get to the first round and we got by because how they did it was they, they, they took every team in your region, they gave you a number, they put the numbers and they drew them out of a, a hat. So the first six teams that were picked – those teams had to play a buy-in game or a play-in game. It didn't matter if you were undefeated or what, you were playing a play-in game. And then the other four teams that were drawn late got a bye. Well, we were lucky enough to only play in four games. We got a bye the first week. <laughs> got ready to play our second, our second game of the season in the, in the uh, playoffs, and the team had to shut it down for COVID reasons. So we made it to the third round of the playoffs, only playing four games, man, and, and – we got to buy the first round and the second round. We got a free pass because the team had to shut it down. And we ended up playing the five-time state champion down here in Two Hay. That you know they had played all their games. They played eleven games. They were, you know, they were tough, man. So we had to face that juggernaut going into the third round. So that's about as far as we got this year. Wow, I I can't imagine because I it, it's a little bit different. Every state is different. 
Um, you know, I've talked to coaches from Ohio and they had, you know, if you didn't make it to the playoffs, you had like an extra game that you could schedule. It's almost like a bowl game kind of thing. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think Virginia has that as well um, because Virginia actually made it harder to get into the playoffs this year because yep. they shortened the playoffs uh, because we have a shorter season. We only have six games. Everything is in district. Um and, you know, they're only going to take, like, the f- top four teams out of the region, and everything's points-based, so you have to have the points. And so if you lose a game, you're basically screwed. Yeah. Um, which, you know, we'll see, how, we'll see how that works. But it, it, every state is different. And in Virginia, it's weird. Every county is different, too. Yep. And because of the size of our school, our district is not in our county. The rest of our district teams are in other counties, smaller schools around the area. And so some of the schools around us have been able to be in the weight room. We haven't. Some of them have been able to go out and use footballs and bags and stuff and, you know, practice. We haven't, Um, you know, honestly, and, and then our County came out, you know, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say this or not, but you know, there's a, there's a high likelihood that, any athletic team in our county, doesn't matter what it is, will have to wear masks when they compete and practice really? and everything. So, oh, wow. and, and then other counties, they don't have that. So it's, wow. you know, it's, it's way different. And I think everybody's dealing with stuff like that. And what, what made it tough for us was the state of Florida, how they did it is they kind of came through and said, okay, we are going to start on August, whatever the day was. I can't really remember off the top of my head but there's so many counties in the state of Florida that just because this FHSAA wanted to start on a certain day of their start date, their, their county or their district level would not let them start that day. So Palm Beach County and Miami-Dade County, which I think Miami-Dade last year was, they had won just about every state championship on every single level in the state of Florida. And Palm Beach County and themselves were not able to start that day. So what they had to do was Palm Beach County and, and uh, Miami-Dade, what they had to do is they had to remove themselves from the FHSAA because if you didn't start by a certain date, you weren't technically allowed to play in the state series playoffs. Wow. So um, what they did was they removed themselves from that and they kind of played an in-county season with an in-county championship. So that made things tough because a lot of our teams were from – the area we in, we, we would go play Palm Beach County teams or they would come to us, but because they wouldn't allow team to travel out or teams to travel in, that took a lot of teams off their schedules. So the powerhouses down there in Miami and Dade and, and, and Palm Beach County, they were kind of playing their own little state mm-hmm. series and state playoff series and, and had their own championships. So I've seen a lot of craziness this year, man, and it, and it made things difficult because we still had our FHSA normal playoff bracket and how you always done it, but they also had a lot of these regions in the state had their own kind of thing going to where they had their own champion and their own way of doing things. So it was very interesting kind of seeing how things played out this year. Yeah, it was almost way worse in Virginia um, really? because there was – before we have the VHSL, which is kind of like your state's organization – Um, And they are like the overseers of all Virginia state athletics. And so what they said, they came out with the, the, the decision. Eventually they came out with the decision to start in February, right. To push all fall sports back to February. Before that, there was this scramble because the governor basically said each County can decide what they want to do regarding sports and athletics. Right. So 
you know, it could have gone one way where like if our county had the way they wanted it, unfortunately, our county um, does not want to do sports for some reason. They don't want to have to. And so they, they, if they had had it their way, they probably would have said, nope, no sports at all in our county. And so like everyone else in our district probably could have played. (laughs) And, and then we wouldn't have been able to, because we're in that county. Uh, Or it could have been, you know, our county is going to have a season this time of year, but their county is going to have a season that time of year. And so we would have had to play six, eight teams, (laughs) you know, that could have happened too. So thank goodness. Like I hated the fact that we had to wait until February and honestly, we're still crossing our fingers, hoping that nothing happens between now and then because the numbers just keep rising. Yeah, man. You just don't know. Um, You know, as of right now, it's supposed to happen, but keep our fingers crossed. I'm glad that I'm glad the state made a decision. Like the state right. said, everyone's going to follow this rule. So it actually benefited us. It's funny that you mentioned the state because, you know, what made things interesting here was I think the state of Florida and the FHSA, you know, the governor's kind of what got everything going. He was like, you know what, we're going to, we're not going to run from this thing. We're going to have sports. We're, we're, that's what we're going to do. But there was people on both sides of the fence. We should play. We shouldn't play. So the FHSA, they had probably two or three meetings of a board, and they were going to vote, and they kind of put everything live stream so people could kind of watch. Mm. Well, I think what happened is after the first one, there was a lot of guys who, you know, those coaches that have been doing it a long time. They're all and coaches have huge egos. You know, let, yeah. let's let's get that go. Let's let's. I'm pretty sure everybody knows that. So every coach wanted to make sure that he had the opportunity to win or show that they could, you know, produce. Uh, have a a good production out there and I think they kind of had influence on the state of Florida on their decision of what was going to go on so and it was back and forth kind of like what you were talking about with after they would hold these meetings and have these votes you know it was it was back and forth and I think a lot of the influence had to be because of the coaches that had been around a long time that kind of wanted to show wanted to wanted to prove that they could win or do all these other things and they kind of got their way and it kind of put other other teams and other programs kind of in a spot because there, there may be their situation with COVID was a lot more different than, than other places. So yeah. that was a huge issue, man. Huge issue. I can, it, you know, football has always been a politics game, unfortunately. Yep. And it yep. probably always will be. Um, probably. It's one, of the reasons, one of the reasons I never got into youth coaching. <laughs> it's a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you, you, you don't really realize it, but, but high school is full of politics as well, man. That's what, that's why these guys that have been doing it 40, 50 years, I don't know how they've been doing it so long. Cause I'm sure they've seen this thing change drastically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I used to have the ambition to be a head coach. Not so much anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I had that experience as a freshman head coach in my earlier career and I, after that first two seasons, I was like, nah, I'm good. I'll just <laughs> listen, man. To this day, people ask me, you know, coach, are you going to, are you going to try to be a head coach again? Do you want to be a head coach again? And and don't get me wrong. You know, being a head football coach at the high school level is it's, it's a great job. And, and there's a lot of people that are successful at it. And there's a lot of people that maybe are fully qualified. They just, you know, it's just not the right time or right fit or right place. So I think a lot of people are also built a, uh, dealt a bad hand, but I don't know, man, since I've gone from being a head coach to now just being a coordinator, I don't, I don't know if I'd ever want to get that urge to kind of be a head coach again. And, and I know that sounds bad because every head coach wants everybody on their staff to aspire to be a head coach one day. 
But when you've sat in that seat and you kind of see what see a lot of the things that you have to deal with that are kind of unnecessary, it's almost better to just kind of sit back, be an assistant, be good at being an assistant, you know, be good at being a coordinator and just kind of play that role is, is just as good for some people, I think. Yeah, I like the the reason I got into coaching was because of the players, because of the relationships that you build with the players and actually getting to coach the players. Right. I feel like a lot of times as a head coach that takes a back seat. And yeah, it does, man. It's almost, it's almost like you just, you know, you're, you're an overseer. You, you're, you're not only coaching kids and, and I'm sure a lot of, if there's a lot of head coaches listening, I'm sure they can relate to this. It's almost you're coaching kids and you're coaching coaches. And that was the biggest thing I think that I had a problem with is, is, I love coaching the kids, developing them, but I always felt like you shouldn't have to coach and teach adults how to be adults. And, and I think that's kind of what gets in the way of enjoying football the way you should enjoy it is, is just the other things you've got to deal with like that. You know, I think people get into coaching now for the wrong reasons. I think they get into coaching now because they see the, 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 the kind of fame they can get or the or the popularity they can get from doing it and they like putting on the shirt and they don't understand kind of the grind that goes into it and the time that goes into it that we've all done as assistants yeah. and, and and I think you when you put yourself in that position where you're having to kind of coach people on how to do the job of being an assistant kind of takes your focus away from your team as a whole and, and, and I think that can play a huge role in, into being a head coach and maybe not having the success you want. Now for, for me, it's been an extended period of not having football, but right. you know, a lot of coaches and myself included, we have difficulty disconnecting from the game itself. Um, you know, even when we're at home, we're constantly like emailing other coaches or having meetings or, you know, think watching football, you know, stuff like that. Yep. Now, what are, um, what are some things like hobbies or other things that you do that, is not related to football, something that helps you disconnect? Coach, I don't – I think if you coach football, I don't know if you can ever really disconnect. You know what I mean? And and I've, I've gotten in trouble plenty of times from my wife from bringing work to the house. And, and I think if you're in a coach that is involved and cares, I think it's hard not to do that. Um, you know, I think that – Anytime you're watching football, like whether it be on TV, you can't really enjoy the game because you can't, you catch yourself kind of watching the details and, and looking into things. And, and then all of a sudden it takes the fun out of being a fan. And, and so I think that you can never really disconnect, but I've, I've, even though I'm not very good at it, I've kind of picked up the hobby of golf a little bit, but you know, you get out there, you get competitive and, and you shank a couple balls and you know, all of a sudden you find yourself <laughs> frustrated and there goes that relaxing part. So I don't really know if there's anything that disconnects me from it. I, I try to get away, play some golf, kind of hang out with the family a little bit, but there's always something that seems to kind of find its way that catches your attention and makes you think about things that maybe you've missed that maybe just randomly pop up in your head. So where you're always kind of going back on to, to the football aspect of things. So I think it's kind of hard to really totally disconnect yourself from it. Yeah. Uh, now golf, I, I've always, I've, I've been thinking about it more the older I get. I know it's, <laughs> When I was young, I was like, no, I'm not playing golf. But now the older I get, I start thinking about, well, maybe I should start getting into it because I know a lot of other coaches are into it in right. their own time. Uh, for a guy who's never – I've never played, you know, an actual round of golf myself. Mm -hmm. I played putt-putt. <laughs> That's about <laughs> the extent that I've had. Yeah. Um, 
where do you even start? Like, what's what's like the best way to start? Especially because you know I'm not exactly rolling in the dough. So, right. like, how, how would you even get started? Well, I mean, I'm by no means a great golfer. I just I just like to enjoy to get out there and just doing something that's that's not school related or you know something else that you, that you do every day. So. I never had anybody teach me. It's more self-taught. I just kind of, I had a bunch of buddies from high school and college that were really into golf. And I just really found myself just kind of tagging along with them, going out there. And it kind of just started from taking a couple swings to kind of playing a couple rounds with them, started out nine holes, you know, and then just kind of found myself looking more into it, you know, how to swing the club, how to hold a club, kind of all those things to where you just kept going out there to the driving range and, and, and trying those new things out to where you kind of pick up your own little style and then kind of just blew up from there and just, you know, kind of took off with it. And just every, every time you go out there, you, you, you tend to find something new and, and look it up, but it's, it's like football. You know, they tell you that, you know, everybody has their own unique way of swinging and walking and doing those things. And I think what people get caught up in is they, try to find the perfect way to do it or the right way to do it. And they try to go out there and emulate those things. And it just, it never works out for them and they get frustrated. But I think if you just went out there, man, got on the driving range and just kind of went at it, I think you'd find, you'd find your own little way through it and have some fun with it. Maybe even pick it up. Well, I might look into it. We'll, we'll <laughs> see. Yeah, I honestly, I have a hard time finding extra time for anything else. So we'll see if I can get into it. Maybe when my kids are a little bit older. <laughs> Yeah, hey man, they could tag along with you and, you know, go, go, go get the balls that you shank. You know, they are, there are some good use for the young ones that, that aren't out there ready to play yet. I find good use of my daughter when she wants to go out there. She's always going to pick up the, the balls that seem to don't roll but about 20 feet. So, you know, there's always something to do. With All right, Coach. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to come onto the podcast. And uh, thank you one, one more time. I, I appreciate you, Coach. Man, thank you very much for having me. Hopefully, hopefully uh, coaches out there can take something from this. I mean, I know every experience is different, and I by no means have all the answers. But, you know, if I could help in any way, man, I really appreciate it and glad I got the opportunity to. Awesome. Well, coaches, this has been the Armchair Coaching Podcast, and this is Coach Sheffer signing off.